This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that it's in returning and rest that we find strength. Lord, I thank you that you really do not require us to fight our own battles. You um, are, not, are not asking us to rise up and accomplish salvation, Lord. You are asking us to sit down and trust you. You're asking us to, to draw near and be comforted by your presence and to see you work your mighty arm in this world, Lord. But I pray as we look at this passage um, that speaks to a people thousands of years ago that um, lived in a culture that is completely unlike anything we know today. Um, Lord, help us see what you have said. Help us see that these words are from the creator of the universe and are, are not just for uh, the people of old, but for your people today. Lord, we need your spirit to see that clearly. And I thank you that you have given him to us. I thank you that your spirit dwells in each and every one of the believers who is united to your beloved son. I pray, Lord, that you would use him to open our eyes to see the glory and the majesty of what you've said here so that we could honor you today and this week. In your name I pray, amen. So we're basically smack dab in the middle of the book of Isaiah. Uh, and this is, as we work through the book of Isaiah, it's a, uh, it's a pretty thick so 66 chapters. Um, so there's a lot going on here. Even in this chapter, there's kind of a lot going on. So we broke the book of Isaiah into uh, five sections uh, that we spend roughly 12 weeks apiece on each one of those five sections. So we're, we're in section number three now, and we're a few weeks into section number three. And we're calling it the Lord waits and it, the Lord waits. And it actually comes from this passage where it says he, he waits to be gracious to you. The Lord is waiting to be gracious to you. And, and I, I thought that would be a good title for this series because as you, as you go through this, the story of the book of Isaiah, uh, as you, as you see how, how much history that the, the book of Isaiah spans, there's a lot going on uh, for the people in Jerusalem, for the people in Israel, for the people in the surrounding countries. And, and you have this sort of high point uh, where, where things are going very well and where uh, their economy is, is, is kicking and screaming and, and, and moving along and the nations around them are actually seeing the success of Judah and Jerusalem and are, are paying a, a form of tribute to Israel because that, that's just the, the sort of the status that they have is such a, uh, 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 God has blessed their nation. So they have sort of sway in the area and tribute is being paid to them. But th- this is what's the beginning of Isaiah's life. And as, this ha- as, as everything is going wonderful, things start to circle the drain. Uh, and judgment comes on Israel uh, fairly quickly because there's a king that decides, hey, uh, all the ways that we're doing things, all the things, all the rules that we're following and all the ways that we're worshiping God, uh, he, the, this king Ahaz is like, hey, I got a better idea. Let's, uh, let all the nations around us are doing this other thing. Let's do that too. And so things start to go south in Isaiah's lifetime. Things start to go south in Isaiah's lifetime. And he, he proclaims uh, that all of these, these ways that, that Israel is sort of scrambling off after other nations, after, after other ways that they think will bring them a measure of success. He has, our last section was like 12 chapters of judgment on the nations around them. And there was some other stuff in there too. But, but Israel, but Isaiah was saying, look, you're going to this nation over here. You're going to this nation over here. You're going to this nation over here. But look what God is going to do to these people who are re- continually reject him who continually reject him. And Isaiah is sort of like waving the, the red flag. Like, look, we're, we're, as a people, we have kind of gone astray. And things are, are, gonna get, are gonna get difficult if we don't turn back to the Lord. And in this season, in this season, the Lord is waiting. The Lord, the Lord wants you to come back to him. The Lord is not pushing you away, waiting to just judge you. He wants you to return to him. And so in this, in this particular section that we're in, Isaiah is exhorting the people 
He's saying, look at what's coming. Look at the disaster that's, that's happening. He's exhorting the people and he's saying, I want to help you turn back to the Lord. I want to help you see that, well, like we talked about last Sunday, that sometimes the difficulty that God's people are going through is because they're being refined. Uh, it's this idea of uh, burning away all the, the impurities in the metal so that through the fire, through the difficulties of life, through, in Israel's time, literally nations coming and taking your neighbors away in, in war, in things that are beyond our ability to, to even understand uh, from our own personal experience, some, some pretty dramatic historical events. Isaiah is saying, look, this suffering that's happening is because God wants to make you a people who are pure and holy and, 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 and actually live out in a way that I've designed for you. So this whole section is, is Isaiah sort of explaining to the people, look, God is working in all of the difficulties in, in orchestrating history so that you would be purified, so that you would turn back to him, so that you would see that he is making you, my peep, God's people, like, like pure and precious gold, which, which actually has to happen th- through the fire, through suffering. And we talked about that quite a bit last week on how God uses suffering to purify his people. And we know, uh, because the New Testament tells us, we know that all these things that are happening to God's people back then are examples for us. All, all the way that God is working in and through his people back then are examples for us so that we could learn not to make some of the similar mistakes. Kind of to, to help us out. And, and Paul says it's for those of us on whom the end of the age has come. You and I don't have to worry about a bad king taking over and like kind of ruining it all for us. We don't have to worry about an Ahaz kind of making things get terrible because we're in the, the part of the story, we're in part of the biblical story where we have the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We have, we have Jesus Christ sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning over all the kingdoms of the earth right now. Amen. We have the better king that even Isaiah, in, this, in the next section that we'll probably look at next year, this, this suffering servant, the, the one that God raises up to restore his people. We have the better king today ruling and reigning on his throne. So, so we don't have... Some, some, Isaiah could say, wow, we've got Ahaz leading us astray. We've got a terrible leader who is just like telling people to do terrible things and that's why everything is, is going south. We don't have that situation. We have Jesus Christ sitting on his throne. So, so we're here in Isaiah 30. We're here in Isaiah 30, right after Isaiah has sort of communicated to the people that God works through suffering. God is using the refining fire of difficulty to make his people as God intended from the beginning. Maybe to use New Testament terms, uh, God is working in our suffering to make us image and look like Jesus Christ himself. He's, he's, he's refining us so that you demonstrate the character of the king that's sitting on the throne. He's working difficulty in your life so that you praise and glorify and honor the king who is now sitting on the throne. That's how God is working in us. And it's a, um, you know, we, again, we talked a lot about this last week, but when we think about the way that God uses suffering. When we think about the way that God uses suffering to make us more like Christ, most of us, if not all of us, don't respond with sweet. That's how I want to get better. (laughs) That's how I want God to shape my life. Bring on the suffering. Let's just pile it on and make it worse so I get better. (laughs) Like we don't, if, we're, if we just take a second to think about how God transforms us into the image of Jesus, or if we take a second to say, how does God actually change my heart so that I worship and adore him, and it's through suffering? If we think about that with any sort of honesty, we have to say, like, that sounds like the worst. That's not how I want, it can you just, is there another way, Lord, that you could sort of work out me being changed? Right. Which... This is what Jesus said. I mean, you're in good company. He said, Lord, if this cup could pass away, if there was another way for me to rescue my people, 
let's do it the other way. Like Jesus said this before the cross. He wasn't flippant about the suffering he had to go through, but he knew your will be done. He trusted and knew that God was a good God and that whatever God was gonna bring him through would be ultimately for his good and for the good of his people. So we're in a situation now in Isaiah 30 where no surprise, if you've taught Sunday school to little kids, Israel isn't taking that very well. God's saying, I'm bringing suffering because I want to refine you and make you beautiful and to to transform you, to image me, your creator. And Israel's like, not a fan of that. Not a fan of that. And I think we can learn from that because we're really not fans of that either. And, and we're, we're going to kind of focus on how do we respond? This is sort of the question we're going to circle around in this chapter. How do we respond to a season of suffering? How do we respond when we have a season of suffering? Let's look at the first verse of chapter 30. Um, I'd encourage you to use your journals. Um, If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can just Google Isaiah if you want. Um, We're going to be in chapter 30, um, but it's good to look at uh, what scripture is actually saying um, so that you can see what is is actually from God uh, and what, what what changes our hearts and what draws us to the Lord. But in chapter 30... This is how Israel responds. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord. Stubborn children. Actually says in the first chapter of Isaiah, donkeys know their masters, who their master is. My children don't recognize me. Israel is is hard-hearted. Israel is refusing to see how God works. God has brought them a season of suffering with the whole intent of purifying them and, and making them holy and shaping them into the image of God. And they and he says stubborn children, why are they stubborn? They carry out a plan but not mine. And they make an alliance but not of my spirit. And depending on which version of the Bible you have, uh, you may have weave a web. Uh, so they make an alliance. It's a, it's a hard to translate word, but, but uh, uh, just from reading some of the other commentators, it's almost like you're crafting. You're like putting together something, but not through the, my spirit. You're, you're building your own plan. You're constructing your version of the good life, but you're not doing it in a way that's through the Holy Spirit, that's through my word, that's through what I've said. And I think it's interesting because if we're in a season of suffering, if God is working in our lives and and we're, we're struggling and there's difficulty, it's good and okay to aim for that to end. Like it, we're, we're not just called to suffer for suffering's sake. We're, we're not just called uh, the, uh, to, to not work towards relieving our suffering. If we look at the, the end of the chapter, chapter 30, verse 23, and we talked about this a little bit even last week because this theme comes up a lot, is there's this idea that we're trying to get through suffering where God is working in a season of suffering in our life so that we could be transformed. And, and as we draw near to God with our hearts, as we're transformed more and more into the image of Christ, there's actually blessings that come from being transformed by God. One of, one of the ways I've been saying it about it recently is uh, we live in a world where the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs makes sense. If we're foolish, there are consequences to that. And it's no good. If we're wise, if we're being changed and transformed in the image of Christ, 
there are good consequences to that. <laughs> and that makes sense. As, as God transforms us, there's, there's things that our foolishness gets us in trouble and our wisdom brings a measure of blessing. Um, but we also live in a world where Ecclesiastes is a real book of the Bible. And it basically says, hey, we know how things should be, but the world is inherently broken and it's not always a one-to-one. <laughs> but it's okay as a Christian to generally say, as God gives you wisdom, as God refines you and shapes you and changes you and makes you more like Christ, there's a measure of blessing that comes from that. He's doing that because he wants you to be a part of bringing his kingdom throughout the whole world. He's doing that because as he unites himself to people and as he transforms us, he makes us more like Christ. He's using you to bring the good, the beautiful, and the true throughout all of the globe to spread his kingdom. And in chapter 30, uh, verse 23, he's sort of uh, giving a picture of that. He's saying this is, this is the, this, this kingdom reality of, of, of glory and goodness and wonder and peace is something that I want to give to you. It's something I, I want Jerusalem and Judah and I want my people to be transformed so there's this good and wonderful reality that they can experience. And he says in verse 23, I will give them rain for the seed with which you should sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground, which, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures. The oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which, which has been winnowed with a shovel and a fork. It's this idea of, of plenty. It's this idea of, of abundance. It's this idea of, of blessings in the, in the land. And on every lofty mountain and high hill, there will be brooks running with water. In the, in the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, that's this idea of, of the nations who would bring up these siege towers to sort of conquer the city, to conquer Jerusalem. And, and the, the genuine fear of, of running out of supplies because you're surrounded by an army that's really just trying to starve you out until you surrender. And he's saying, I'm bringing these difficulties. I'm trying to transform and change my people, but I'm doing that because I want the kingdom to spread across all the earth. I'm doing that because I want to see God's good and beautiful and true character spread over all of creation. Uh, Adam, the first Adam in Genesis, that was his, what he was supposed to do. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with my glory. And he failed. And he messed it all up. And now the Bible says we have the second, the last Adam. We have Jesus Christ, the better king, who is risen on the throne, who is working through his people and is now transforming us so that original call for the original Adam can now be fulfilled through his church. As the kingdom spreads across the globe, as the glory and majesty of God through his people, as we're refined, benefits those around them. As wisdom spreads, or as God's word, like Isaiah describes, spreads as waters cover the sea, there'll be glory and majesty and goodness. That it's, it's good in our suffering to desire and to see God bless and, and grow his majesty around us. It's a really good thing in our suffering to want it to end and for there to be more of God's glory in the world than before more of Christ's wisdom in you as you work in your jobs, as you, as you have relationships with people that you care about, as you meet people around the city, God is refining you so that more of his goodness could spread throughout the globe. We should want that. That's something we should desire. I think it's interesting. Um, it's, it's highly politicized or maybe it's highly uh, separated the parties are right now. Essentially, the slogans are saying the same thing. Do we want to build back better or do we want to make America great again? We're, we're, we're both sides are basically saying we want something glorious to be in our future. <laughs> we want good to come. So you could be Republican or Democrat or suffering in your own personal life, this impulse to want things to be better, to want things to be plentiful, to want things to be glorious and beautiful and majestic, that's inherent in us and that's a good thing. We should desire that and we should want that. Here's where things go south. How do we do that? 
how do we get from here to there? I mean, that's the biggest difference in the political parties, right? We all want some kind of equality. How do we get there? What do we do? And, and that's the, sort of the issue that God is taking up with his people in Isaiah 30. Saying, you want the good and the beautiful. You want to put in the work so that the, the kingdom and the glory of God would spread. But you're making a plan that's not my plan. You have this project you're working on that's not coming in and through my spirit. God has a way to refine us, to transform us, and to bring his kingdom. And when we make our own paths, when we go and do our own thing, no surprise, it doesn't work out as well. God has a better way. So we're sort of focusing on this idea then, if that's what we're aiming for, if that's what we're looking forward to, if we live in the time where Christ is sitting on the throne, building his kingdom in and through his people, and all of us want a measure of glory and majesty and beauty and, 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 uh, and just fruitfulness in the world as his glory spreads all over, if we all want that, and he's refining us to change us to bring those kinds of things, how you and I respond in a season of suffering, how we respond in a season of suffering shows whose plan we're following. Shows which way we're achieving that. Just like with Israel. Because <laughs> I think we're all aiming for some similar things, at least in this particular context. There's, you know, there's obviously exceptions to that. We all want good things. We all want God's glory to spread across the world. But how we go about doing that is very important. So how do we respond in a season of suffering as we aim towards the goodness and the beauty and the, and the wonder of God's kingdom? Well, look at how Israel responded. Verse two says, they set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, they didn't have the best relationship with Pharaoh. That was their slave master. There, there, there's entire books of the Bible talking about the glorious rescue of God from Pharaoh, of the people of God. They, they, were, they were enslaved by Pharaoh. Egypt was, is, is their, their prototypical enemy. It's the, it's the one who, who had them captured uh, in, where they were and, and was working to just, just literally destroy their children. Not a good relationship. And it says here, they sat down to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction or my protection. It's kind of in the history of Israel. Even when they were being rescued out of Egypt, what did they complain to Moses? That Moses is, God parts the sea. They walk on dry ground. All this crazy stuff happens in the plagues. Like just... God utterly rescues them in this is the most majestic way possible that will eventually point us towards what Jesus does on the cross, but literally changes everything that's happening in the world to rescue these people in this super dramatic way. And multiple times, you know what Israel says? Why'd you bring us out here? It was better in Egypt. As soon as things get a little bit hard, they complain to Moses and say, can we go back? To being slaves where they killed our children but it's a picture and this is what they're doing right here they're in trouble and they're saying let's go back let's go back to Egypt and see if they can protect us and it's a picture of this, this reality that God's people when he brings suffering you and I are tempted to respond by going back to something going back to something that was enslaving us. 
going back to something that we got caught up in, going back to something that we know is really not good for us in the long run, but it makes us feel better right now. That's what sin does. It's, it's right here in our hearts. And God brings a measure of suffering. And how do we respond? We go back to something else that makes us feel better. In the next section, verse 6, he says, An oracle on the beast of the Negeb. He's basically just saying, in order to buy Pharaoh to help protect them, they take riches from the temple and send them off through the desert to pay off Pharaoh to rescue them. They actually use the blessings that God has given them to try to submit themselves and be protected by the, the, the one who is enslaving them. And he says in verse 7 then, Egypt's health is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab who sits still. It's kind of a play on words. This Rahab is, is almost, uh, it's another word that can be interpreted a handful of different ways, but storm is like a popular one. It's like, like, a, like a mighty power. And he's like, so I'm going to call Egypt, I'm going to call this thing that you go back to very powerful and it will do nothing will do nothing so think about that when God how do we respond in a season of suffering how do you respond in a season of suffering what do you go back to When you go back to that, whatever it is, it might be something like gaming. It's innocent enough, you know? <laughs> like it's nice to just check out when things are hard. Might be, uh, it might, it might be just checking out, <laughs> taking time off from work and pretending it's, nothing difficult is going on. It might be food. <laughs> it's an unhealthy relationship with something. You know, even good things can be used in a bad way. Food is great. What do you go back to? And how often when you go back, in the middle of your suffering, whatever it is, and it ends up being Rahab who sits still, <laughs> ends up being worthless. Ends up really not getting you anywhere. It's, t it's easy, which is why we're, we're here to learn from Israel. It's easy when God has brought a season of suffering to go back to something that God has previously rescued us from. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really get us anywhere. So how do we respond in a season of suffering? Sometimes we go back. But sometimes we just don't like, sometimes we just try to avoid hard things that God has said. Sometimes we just want to avoid hard things that God has said. I mean, it's not a fun reality. We talked about this last week. It's uncomfortable that God works through suffering. Like that's all over scripture to the point where Peter says, hey, don't be surprised when you suffer. Jesus says, hey, the servant isn't greater than the master. If I'm going to go to the cross, if I'm going to suffer on my way to glory, on my way to, to having God and his glory spread through all of creation, if the King of kings and Lord of lords goes through that as God uses him, then of course his people will. Those are like hard scriptural things that God would use all the, the things in the world, the suffering in the world to refine us and to make us look like Christ. But there's, there's things in scripture that we just don't, we're just not comfortable with. Israel's in the same boat. Look at what it says. 
in verse 9, he says, For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Those guys are smart at two years old. As soon as you go to correct them, they know what you're doing. And the last thing they want to do is look you in the eye. (laughs) You could be smiling and just walk up to them and say, hey, that's what, you know, that's not something that we do. And they're just like (laughs) avoiding eye contact. (laughs) I'll feel guilty. (laughs) They know. We know, too. We're no different. Sometimes God is saying hard things to us and we're just avoiding our gaze and saying, tell me about all the good things. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear the difficult things about who I am. Israel's in the same boat. Children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord who say to the seers, do not see and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Tell us it's going to be fine. Don't confront me about the reality that we're straying from what God has said. How about these things over here that are controversial? We just don't talk about those and we leave them over here. How about all the good things we bring to the front? And focus on that. It's easy. We're tempted when we're, when we're, especially when we're suffering, especially when things are not going well, when, when, when God has brought a season to refine us. A lot of times, the part of that refining process, and not every time, is recognizing where we've avoided God's word. Recognizing where we've strayed from him and he's saying, come back. I'm bringing you through this suffering so that you can stop avoiding this thing that's difficult and trust me and believe that I could actually change your desires. I could actually change your heart. I can actually shape you and I'm powerful enough to make this difficult thing something that's easy for you. And when we're in this season of suffering, it's easy, like the Israelites, to say, can we just focus on the positive things? Can we just talk about the good? And there's a lot of good to talk about. One of the things that we value is that the gospel is beautiful. It's a wonderful thing that God is always walking us back. Keep talking about that. But he's also refining us, causing us to suffer so that we could be transformed and look more like Jesus to love his law more than we did when we first got converted. To have things in scripture that make us uncomfortable, that that make us kind of want to stray away from that. But Paul would say to have our minds renewed so that we actually think the way that God thinks. So we actually love the things that God loves. And when we come back to him saying, Dad, (laughs) he welcomes us in. (laughs) We don't like hard things. How do we respond in a season of suffering? (laughs) The illustrations write themselves. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that's point three, Quinn. (laughs) We go back to things that God has rescued us from. We don't like to hear hard things often when we're going through a difficult season. But we also really like to rely on ourselves. How do you fix broken and hard things in your life? You do. How do I respond when God has brought a measure of suffering with doing more stuff? I like to rely on myself. I like to think that I have everything under control. And if I don't, I like to figure it out so I have everything under control. (laughs) And God is saying, no, I don't want you to rely on yourself. Look at what he says in verse 15. 
We've been talking about this in our time in prayer before the service. The, the context is, is these stubborn, rebellious people, but God says some of the most wonderful things in the book of Isaiah right here. Verse 15, he says, hey, you're going through a hard time? You're going through a season of suffering? For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning or in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Quietness and trust shall be your strength. But then nothing will get done. Then we won't get to see the glory and the beauty of the kingdom come in if we just sit back and trust God to work. Then we won't be able to fix XYZ problem. basically what Israel said here they have armies coming in and they say hey we're going to flee on horses and we're going to ride on swift steeds and God's like because I'm bringing suffering to refine you because I want to see you shaped like the people you should be I'm going to send faster horses after you I'm going to make a thousand of your best troops flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee. What's interesting is that's almost an inverse of some promises in Deuteronomy. God actually tells Joshua that when you go in to conquer the land, I'm going to make a thousand flee at one because I will be with you. This has been um, particularly convicting. We're, uh, we're talking about identity and culture and the world story and secularism, um, politics and sex and all the controversial things in our intensive in the afternoon at two o'clock. And Charles Taylor, who is a philosopher who's still alive in Canada, traces the history of our culture to get from where believing in God is the default view back in the day, he starts around 1500, to today, it's like the weirdos. Like, why would we believe in God? And he puts part of the blame on Christians. He says, as soon as Christians began defending their faith by explaining everything away, by saying, oh, this, 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 this leads to this, 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 and this, and it's all just cut and dry like that. It's like as soon as Christians started explaining away their faith as just black and white, why do we need God if we understand everything? If it all just works a certain way in this world, what is the point of someone who is transcendent and is beyond what we understand? And I think what God is saying right here is I am powerful, I work, I bring in my kingdom, I do this in a miraculous way, and if my people ever want to see me work, ever want to see me bring something wonderful in in this world, they need to sit back and stop thinking that they have it all under control. They need to sit back and say there isn't an XYZ way to bring the kingdom. Because in quietness, in trust, is where your strength is found. It doesn't make sense that a thousand would flee at one. But that's how God works. When we're in a, a season of suffering and we want the kingdom to spread and we want God's glory to be all over Denver, in our, maybe in just at home in our relationships, or, or, or even we think about bigger picture, worldwide things. We want, we want uh, Christians as a whole to image and display the wonder and majesty of the character of God. And, and God is moving all of these pieces throughout the world, all the pieces here in Denver, all the, all the pieces in your particular life to refine you, to make you look like Christ to make you reflect his glory so that more of his kingdom could come on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of times we respond poorly. 
A lot of times we avoid the hard things. A lot of times we go back to things that God has rescued from. A lot of times we rely on ourselves. We rely on our own strength. So what should we do? How should we respond? When God is shaping us and refining us and, and making us more like his son, his son, how should we respond? Well, in the last section here, we get a handful of positive responses. Verse 19 says, for a people shall dwell in Zion. He's talking about this future reality in Jerusalem and you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. He shall surely be gracious to you. He will give you what you don't deserve at the sound of your cry. God's saying, in your suffering, when I'm refining you, when I'm making you like my son, and it's hard, and you want to say, let there be another way, Lord. Cry to me. Cry out. Ask for my help. Come to me. Don't go back to things. Don't trust in your ability. Go to me. I look forward to that. He's saying, come. He's waiting. could be as simple as taking a second in your day when something gets ruined in the middle of your work and stopping and going to him in prayer before you hammer back on the email (laughs) I had to do that a lot (laughs) sometimes I just draft that I need to pray a little bit (laughs) but he wants to change you He he wants you to Love loving him. He wants you to display his glory to the people that you work with. To the people at home that are hard sometimes. Cry out to him. Go to him. He's waiting. He also wants you to listen to what he has to say. We, we, said, we said this a little bit last week. Uh, God's people will respond sometimes and say, you don't know me, you know? Like, you, you don't know what the issues are. Uh, and, and Isaiah was like, you're turning it upside down. God knows everything. He, he, know, he knows what is the most important thing. He knows what you should value. He knows what will bring you joy and peace and more of the kingdom of God. He knows that. So he's saying, listen to my words. Look at verse 20. It says, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, though you're suffering, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. God has communicated the things to us in his word that we should be primarily concerned about. And I think we get wrapped up in a bunch of tertiary or secondary questions about things. What should I do this weekend? How should I plan out my career? What does this person think of me? How did I respond to this thing? And we can spin over all these things. God's saying, I've laid it out clearly for you. I've given you a top 10 list of things you should care about. Love me. Love your neighbor. Don't covet. Love worship. And I think sometimes if if we were to reorient our thinking and our concerns around the thing that God is genuinely concerned about, if we were to trust what he's saying as our teacher and saying, here's what is the most important thing today, 
is not what you scheduled, but maybe how you respond to the person right in front of you as you love them and care for them who's made in God's image. Or not what that person thinks about you, but how God views you. We love him because he first loved us. Not about maybe your concerns with career choices or future plans because we have a God who is proclaimed to all of his people that we have the new creation to look forward to. We have eternity to enjoy and experience all that he has created. We aren't going to miss out on anything. We have literally for forever. And if we were to reorient our thinking when we're suffering and say, Lord, what do you care about? What have you said that could teach me? What's important to you so I can make that important to me? If we do that, God is saying, I want to bless you. I want to work out all the other things if you seek first the kingdom. I want to do that. That's how we get to his glory spreading throughout all of the creation. how do we respond in a season of suffering we cry to him he's waiting for us we we listen to him he's god he's all wise and we turn away from the former things away from the things that we think will find rest and peace or that we think will bring the kingdom of god and we turn towards him we turn towards God is the, the only thing that could actually satisfy. The only thing that never changes and gives us a measure of stability. The only thing that has the fullness of joy flowing out of who he is. That's what he says in verse 22. He says, then you'll defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things and you will say to them, be gone. Now, we don't make little statues and, and bow down to them so that all the less emails come into my inbox, you know, or that my fantasy team does well today. You know, we don't have, like, statues for that. We might have humiliating ones that you have to have if you lose a fantasy, but it's different. But, but there are things in life that uh, idol worship is, is attributing something in this world that should be only attributed to God. What in this world do you think will ultimately give you peace? That is your God. What in this world do you reorient your life around because you have to? That is your carved image. And God's saying if you turn away from those things, if you embrace me, the creator, the one who is going to fulfill you, who is going to bring you joy, look at what he says then. This is where we started. In verse 23, guess what? He will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures and the oxen and the donkeys will work the ground, will eat seasoned fodder, which is winnowed with a shovel and a fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be brooks running with water. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm working to shape you. I'm working to purify you. I'm bringing suffering that's difficult. And I want you to respond to that in a way that makes you trust yourself less. I want you to respond to that in a way that makes my wisdom seem more glorious. I want you to respond to that in a way where you toss out the things that you think will satisfy and you go to me. And I'll actually work in and through you. I have, I have a competent king on the throne and I, I'm using the Holy Spirit as Jesus pours out the spirit and works in and through his people to bring more of the glory and the majesty of the kingdom of God, both in your home, in our church, and around the world. We all want that. Whether we're building back better or trying to make it great again, we all want God's kingdom to come. And the problem isn't that we want that. The problem is how we go about doing it. And God is saying, turn to me and I will be the one to accomplish all these things. That's the, that's the wonder and the beauty of a God that 
is beyond our comprehension. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have the ability to do these things. But God does. In and through his son, by the Holy Spirit, he can actually transform our hearts so that we don't become the stubborn children of Israel who just hate everything that God is doing. But instead, you and I are transformed more and more into the image of likeness of Jesus Christ himself. More and more into the beloved son. That's the beauty of what God is saying in Isaiah. And he's not upset that we're so stubborn. He literally is waiting. He's literally waiting to be gracious to you. So let's go to him and ask him for his help. Father, thank you for your good and gracious character. Thank you that you would reveal yourself in your word. Thank you that you would use people from forever ago in a situation that's so outside of ours uh, to, to show where we respond when, when you're transforming us, when, when we're suffering, Lord. We just don't, by default, we don't go to you. We need your word and your spirit to change us and to transform us, Lord. I pray that you would do that. I know that you will do that. I, I know that you have done that. And I see your, see your spirit convicting people in this church of sin and of righteousness and of discernment, Lord. You, you are at work in your people and it's wonderful and it's beautiful to behold. We want to sit back and see more of you at work. Help us trust you, Lord. Help us trust what you are doing in and through us so we can see more of your glorious kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In your name I pray, amen.